are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on Twitter and Instagram. And if this is your first time listening, chance on site found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, thank you. And I want to say a big shout out and thank you to those that followed on their favorite platform. Had some some numbers go up this week. So appreciate that. With me as always is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. What's up, everyone? Thank you to the old subscribers and thanks to the new subscribers. We got another episode for you and three more tournaments. Are we talking about all of the tournaments? I don't know. We got three more tournaments on the horizon. And so we're going to get into that. Let's do it. Yes, it's a three tournament week after the thousand event. Uh, So it's going to be some watered down fields. Our third host here is John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. You can find his own brand at Tibbetts Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. And you know what I like about these three tournament weeks? Either we get to talk about them all, or we have such good discussion about two of them that Dave at the end just says, sorry, Cordoba, or <laughs> sorry, Banya Luca. You know what I mean? So it's it's a win-win no matter what. And I hope everyone's having a great day, except for Tamara Corpatch. She can go fuck herself. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been feeling the same thing. <laughs> betting brings out the emotions and this is a betting podcast so we like to be transparent about what we talked about last time on this podcast and a little segment we call what did we win what did we learn hey guys we did a lot of winning this time i had andre rublev money line versus taylor fritz Derek had the over 22 and a half cash both those sorry john John, you did lose (laughs) fritz but you carried us in the next match you've got your whole garuna money line plus 145 against Yannick Sinner. I talked about the overs in both matches, uh, but didn't pull the trigger on air. Off air, I did end up playing the over two and a half sets at plus 130 and over 21 and a half in Sinner Runa, which looked like it was dead after Runa was broken, (laughs) trying to serve it out in set two. But hey, how about some luck for a change? Closes out uh, the second set. It's a win in three. Pretty unbelievable. Now, what did we learn? The losses. John lost his 12 to one Sinner outright. Doesn't come home. Bummer, and it was a bad outright tournament for us uh, overall. A lot of people out there were holding large Rublev tickets, so good good for everyone that pulled the trigger there. I think the big takeaway for me when it comes to Rublev cashing as high as a 33-1 to 1 outright is don't let narrative scare you off big numbers. And uh, I did bet Runa in the final off-air uh, as well, so I faded Rublev in the final. I did back him three times on this podcast, so it's not like we didn't get some money from rublev on this run but i mean rublev has been a routine loser for me routine listeners of the pod know i've backed him a lot this year already but thinking back after rublev did the unthinkable coming back two sets to win this thing i was thinking back to all the times i've backed rublev and he never comes through for me uh, but the most tilting loss was last year at the at the french open and against chillich when he lost in five sets uh I mean, that's that's some bias coming into play for me with Rublev here that I, I shouldn't let shouldn't let affect me because it is, you know, match in, match out. You really have to look at it from that perspective. And so much goes into winning these tournaments, especially a thousand event that's only a week. So playing every day and the start of a new surface season as well. Injury came into play with Novak. Runa takes out center in chaotic fashion from a six one set one loss. Center closes out. That second, he probably beats Rublev, but Rublev gets Runa, who isn't the most fit player on these extremely physical conditions. So everything really did kind of break the right way for Rublev. And I saw a tweet that was pretty good in the replies to the tennis podcast. Uh, it said that Rublev 
while he doesn't have the highest upside, he does have a very high floor. And ultimately, I think that floor is what got him to the finish line here. Uh, he's written a new narrative about himself with his biggest title yet, but I think he will still suck plenty on this tour. That said, I do think he's decidedly a top 10 player in the world. 33 to 1 was probably too long. John, any takeaways uh, for you on this one? Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would modify that statement a bit. I actually kind of like it. I think that the... High floor, low ceiling. I think he's got a, a high floor, high ceiling. It's just he never he never comes close to that high ceiling or can't do it consistently, right? But yeah, the, the floor is high with that serve forehand. He, he can move around the court pretty well. Like he's athletic. And that alone will take, those three things will take you far. When his backhand holds up like it did this week, and it did all week, yeah. I was stunned at how well that backhand holds up. When, it, when he plays like that, he is extreme. He could beat anyone. We'll see how again it, it, it fares because I think this comes to the point where Doing it for a week is one thing. Doing it 20 weeks a year in all the biggest events, you know, that's what makes you Novak Djokovic. That's what makes you Rafael Nadal. That's what makes you, I mean, you could throw Stefano Tsitsipas in there. Hasn't been the greatest, perhaps, last few events for Steph, whether it be injury or not. But honestly, in most events he enters every year, he is making deep runs and he's in contention for a title. Daniel Medvedev. That's what sets those top three to five players apart from those six to 15 ranged players. Yeah, the backhand was definitely key in his win against Fritz. Um, I thought against Rune, it looked good too. Yeah, I agree. Both of them in both those matches, they looked pretty good. Like I was pretty damn surprised because usually his backhand's what everyone craps on in them. Not this week. He's like actually trying to forcibly get into backhand rallies, which is not something that he should be getting himself into. But he found himself getting an edge doing that and just kept trying to replicate that. It was pretty impressive. Great moment too. The emotion. You love to see uh, a guy who I, I think battles some demons, and I, I think he's pretty open about not mental issues but you know about you know how emotional he can be on this tour so it was nice to see him come out on top for once even if it did cost me a unit and a half in the end but hey i was positive roi on him all week so i'll take that and what about uh my blind overs three in a row gosh should have fucking put my stake in the ground with that statement <laughs> and something to consider though too i, I want to mention we talked about this on the timeline with the the game bet match pod guys but uh you know clay season here i feel like the over two and a half sets is the better bet at plus money versus the the totals the totals under could i mean they could fail under so easily but they could also come through because of the whole percentage just being naturally lower on the surface guys are not able to serve it out in two as easy. So John, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that your break-even percentage is always going to be lower for over two and a half sets because you're always getting some sort of plus money. It's, I mean, it's almost impossible. I don't think I've ever seen one under even money, put it that way. Uh, whereas with over 22 and a half, or if it's a 20, 22 or 21 and a half, a lot of those times, like you need seven, five, six, four does not get you that over 22 and a half. You need seven, five, seven, five, seven, six, six, four. You're going to have to have at least one 12 game set at, or a tie break, which of course are much less likely to happen. Just look at the odds on first set overs or second set overs on clay. And so if you're going to get that over 22 and a half, the vast majority of the time, it's going three sets on again, on hard courts and grass courts. It's a totally different conversation because those kind of longer sets are more predominant. Like they happen far more often, which means getting to 22 and a half in two sets is a lot more common. It's not so common here yet. We we used to see the 21s and the 21 and a halves consistently. And that extra game does make a big difference, but we don't see as many more. It's still a lot of 22s and 22 and a halves on the men's side. And in that case, you know, the over two and a half sets, it's very rare. You're going to see that go 
over in two sets and you're getting a way better price for the over two and a half sets you need a, a, a lower break-even percentage if you're just starting out with tennis betting that's the best way to approach it if you think a match is close if you're if your numbers have you going to 24 games take the over two and a half sets before you start to work in some more of those kind of uh tertiary elements to find a nitpick those over game spots you know what i mean if you're just starting out and you're on clay and it's slow and you've got like 24 games is your is your true number Start with the over two and a half sets, go that way and try and build, you know, your EV, your, your plus EV spots. And then you can tinker with it and try and pick out the certain spots where over 22 and a half might be a profitable play more often than the two and a half sets. Pretty good one today was uh, Marcos Giron versus uh, RCB. That was plus 160 to go over two and a half. Uh, and that came in very easy. Make sure you're spying that on the slates day in and day out. All right, guys, well, let's move on to this week and start off with the ATP event in Barcelona. The Barcelona Open, this is a 500-level event. It's Spain's second biggest tournament and has been held since 1953. Carlos Alcaraz is your reigning champ as he beat Pablo Carina Busta 6-3, 6-2 in the final last year. And Carlitos is back in the field after skipping Monte Carlo. Nadal has dominated this event since 2005, except for Verdasco in 2010. Back-to-back wins for Caden Shikori in 2014 and 2015. And Dami Team won in 2019. Paz has made the final twice here. Medvedev made the final here. Uh, I don't think he's playing this week. I believe he withdrew. He withdrew, yeah. But uh, interesting little note there. Court speed, still slow, but not as slow as Monte Carlo. So we're ticking up here on the court speed. John, do you have any court speed thoughts? It's not an altitude, and it's not and it's not like hard, true, kind of quicker clay. So it's, it's odd. But in years past, it has appeared like it rewards serves a little bit more than a Monte Carlo, Rome, or the French Open. So it's in between that Madrid and kind of uh, slow. I Like I'd go in the medium-slow area, I suppose. I suppose. Okay. Would you evaluate your players that are playing this um, a little differently than Monte Carlo? Or it's tough. If you do that, you're going to overcompensate and and reward it a bit too much. I, I would just treat this like it's still red clay, right? It's at sea level. Barcelona is a, a kind of coastal town on the Mediterranean city. It's not a town, a coastal city on the Mediterranean. It's it's not an elevation. I would treat this like it's not necessarily Rome or, or, or Roland Garros, but I wouldn't be like, okay, he's got to serve. That moves the whole half game on the spread. You know what I mean? It might be worth mm-hmm. like a tenth or two tenths of a game, which really isn't isn't shifting things more than a few cents. So just yeah, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't try and go overboard with it. Got it. Weather-wise, temps are going to be in the high 60s. Going to be cloudy with some slight winds in the teens, miles per hour wise. But no rain on the horizon. Sunday is the highest chance at 24 percent. So unlike the other two sites that we'll, we'll get into, seems like we shall be rain free. Um, now, of course, there'll be rain on Thursday. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're recording right as play is finished for the day in Barcelona. So the outright numbers aren't quite up yet. So let's hop into some some matches here and the odds and, and talk these out. One I wanted to kick off here was David Goffin taking on Belly Lopez. Goffin is a five game favorite. Now, that's an expensive five games technically four and a half because it's minus 130 at five he's minus 650 on the money line Felly is plus 460 the total is at 20 so a bit ticked down here is david guffin a deserved six dollar favorite here Felly comes in with a wild card he's he's old he's probably washed up but he served pretty well against foe uh, to get to a tie break in the second set in acapulco uh, so the service certainly should be live and a weapon for him here. Goffin has has been hurt. He got worked by a 
floundering Diego Schwartzman last week at Monte Carlo. So Gafen's not exactly in tip-top form. I feel like there's got to be a way to play Feli Lopez here. We talked about the over two and a half sets here. That's it. Plus 210 in this matchup. It's plus 165 just for Feli to win or win a set too. So it's like, I, I, if Feliciano Lopez wins this in straight sets, you know, okay, screw me then, I guess. But I, I do feel like that that's probably the better way to attack it, that plus 210. Maybe throw like a half unit on each and split it up. So like your average price doesn't work out so badly. And then if, if he wins in straights, you don't lose money, right? And you don't get tilted on the fact that you had the right read, but he won too easily. That could be a way to approach it. I actually, I don't like plus games generally uh, on clay, but I've always said it's usually four below I don't like in general on any surface because service order, it could be a singular break in a match, right? Seven, six, six, three, you're done. It could be a singular break depending on how things shake down. But five and a half games at minus 130, or five games at plus money. That's a lot of games. Gofan came off an injury, I believe, last week when he played. Who beat him? Was it Schwartzman? I believe it was Schwartzman. Yeah. Very error prone. Did not look very good. Looked okay for spurts, but he was forced to dictate a ton. I'm not sold on Gofan right now. I think he reminds me a lot of RBA in a way. Like he's getting a certain amount of respect in the market that I just don't think he's shown he deserves this year. He won that Belgian challenger. Other than that, he's been pretty damn bad. Like he beat Kimmer Kopianch on a hard court. A lot of people don't know that who that is. And even, you know, if it was on clay, it wouldn't be that impressive. But it's a, a clay court challenger player <laughs> on an indoor hard court. Frederico Ferreira Silva, Yannick Hampton from a set down, Gauthier Enclin, a young uh, Belgian who's good, but not nearly close to like that top 75 level that you would need to beat Gofan. Then he crushed Michael Lemer. That was an okay, that was a nice win. But other than that, what has he done this year? Like he has been bad. He got crushed by Schwartzman. He got crushed by Barrer in Rotterdam. The Schwartzman matches is the only match he's played coming off that withdrawal in Marseille before he played Michael Lemer, right? That rematch from uh, the Belgian challenger final was supposed to happen in Marseille in late February. Didn't happen. He just came back last week and looked putrid. Feli Lopez, like you said, he's had signs of life at points this year. He's retiring. And this is kind of like, if he's going to, get up for an event if you want to go narrative angle hello he's in spain here this is the event he'll be he'll be wanting to i do, mean the crowd's gonna be that. going insane like right for this guy like they were insane they were going crazy for him in acapulco it's only going to be an even bigger roar uh for his side here right. i mean they're making I mean, a big deal has, about him playing and he has the big first serve uh that he can pull out wide the lefty game he's got obviously I, I, he's got comfort on every surface for crying out loud the guy's in his late 30s he's played for decades on every surface imaginable so like there's there's no discomfort or poor game on clay maybe the movement's an issue but like Goffin coming off an injury one match off an injury and the way he looked in that match against a guy in terrible form in his own right. I don't know how you justify, you know, a dollar sixteen here on the money line. Uh, and Feli's serve too is is big enough, even on clay, that I think five games is a lot. It's a lot. I think I'll probably play this in multiple capacities. Uh, there's a lot I like tomorrow. I just there's about fifty five matches tomorrow, so there's obviously going to be like eight matches I bet, and like in multiple different ways too. So I'm going to have probably about 20, 25 units down, but that's how it works sometimes in tennis. Yeah. I'm going to go with the, the plus one and a half sets here. I got plus plus one fifty. I think you said you, you can see plus plus one sixty five. I also don't, I mean, we talked about the totals here, but at 20, oh man, I feel like we can get to a tie break. I, I ah, fuck the totals. Let's, let's get Felly at plus <laughs> money into a tie break or maybe gets a break and, and cash him just winning a set. I think he's very likely to get a set here. And the over two and a half, 
I like your angle. Half unit on the plus one and a half sets, half unit on the over two and a half. You you get both those. You're cashing a plus one fifty and a plus two ten. Only risking a unit, pretty good. Pretty pretty good. By the way, for anyone with pinnacle, so Europeans, Canadians, wherever, or Ontarians, I guess, uh, plus two thirty five on the over two and a half sets. Gotta love Penny. And I do think it could go really bad though for the five. Uh, we could see a six one set on the Guffman side. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> and the third set, especially like, then you're really sweating. That's why like, I want to do what I did with Montero today. Right. Like, I don't know if, if anyone else saw that, if any listeners saw that on the tidbits timeline, but I was like, I looked up, I thought Montero might have troubles in altitude. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do all these overs, maybe just the, the money line. And then I saw like, he plays a ton of tie breaks and close matches and three set matches and like Santiago and, and, and Gestad and Kitzbühel. I was like, oh man, this is beautiful. So I kind of want to do that. Where today I went with over nine and a half, over 12 and a half in the first, over 22 and a half overall, then Montero money line. I got three of those, huge profit. Love it. Thinking about going the same. I did the same thing with Daniel Glinka against Marius Copil. This is a challenger qualifying event. So don't worry if you don't know the names. At altitude with, you know, serve oriented guys, I went, uh, they didn't have first set overs because it's challenger qualifying, but I have the over, the plus three and a half on the dog and the dog ML. I've got two guaranteed in already. So it's like, I feel like this is another spot to attack the over the plus one and a half sets over two and a half sets. And then, you know, money line and maybe the plus games too. make the unit sizing on each smaller, go a half unit across all f- for each of the four bets and, and see if you can like play bingo, right? Try and get two to three out of four. Like it's almost like a round Robin within a match. You know what I mean? I love it, John. I love the thought process there as well. All right, John, you said you have a lot on your, your card for tomorrow. What else do you have for Barcelona? Uh, Schwartzman over Wu. I didn't bet it right away, and I'm pissed at myself because it, it was climbing up a bit. It started like Schwartzman minus 200, then it got to minus 190. I was like, okay, keep going, keep going. Now it's all the way back to like minus 225, I guess. Yibing Wu has not shown anything on slow hard courts, let alone on clay. Last year he had a few wins, I guess, but Schwartzman crushed him in that match. What last week or the last match? Sorry, not last week in Miami disappointing considering I had the woo spread. He looked hurt. He withdrew from Monte Carlo qualies because he wasn't physically ready. Now the very next week he's back and ready to go. I mean, I'm, this is not just a solely Schwartzman beat him head to head in Miami. That's part of it. It has to be part of it. Cause that was a, a much more advantageous court. And as the week went on and we knew that the courts were becoming, or we knew the courts were a little bit quicker than anticipated. That win grew even more impressive for Schwartzman. And that minus three and a half loss grew even more frustrating for Wu. Clearly not physically a hundred percent requires like quick, quick conditions. Doesn't play with a ton of spin. He's athletic, but I don't, when I say the movement isn't good on clay, I don't mean he can't run or get around the court. I mean, the sliding is not natural to him, right? The kind of footwork on clay is very different. It's not natural to him. So for me, three and a half games here at minus 110, this has to be the other side of four. To me, it has to be four and a half. And those are key numbers. So uh, I think Schwartzman is definitely uh, the move here. You can find a three at bet online, actually. What's the price on that? Minus 115. Oh, okay. That's a great number then. I'm seeing minus 125s, minus 130s everywhere. I'll take that. Uh, and I have that online now. So I will be, jo- yeah, that one I'll definitely join in on then. Schwartzman made the semifinals here last year, made the quarterfinals here in 2021. Lost to Busta, both those. Yikes. That sucks. <laughs> oh, no. Groundhog Day. What about our guy Geese Bruver versus Pedro Kachin? Now, I know you're a Kachin guy, but is yeah. he a deserved <laughs> minus 200 favorite here? Uh, Bruver, obviously not a clay guy, uh, did have some success last two weeks ago in Houston, a little bit of a run there. I mean, Kachin has been really up and down for him to be a pretty solid favorite here. Bruver is pretty bad on the, the backhand 
and and definitely the rally tolerance leans uh, to the Argentinian. Is that a number you're interested in, John? No, the 175, and this is where line shopping comes. There, price shopping. I mean, you got a 175 out there at bet 365 was a plus 200. I think a bit of money has come in on Bruver there at least. Perhaps not at Pinnacle where it's right where near right right. It's about where it opened. Although to be fair. It opened at plus 165, immediately got bet to plus 200, and has come back to plus 168. That early money, I think, was the Kachin is way better on clay. What the hell was Pinnacle thinking money? And then the money coming back, at least in my mind, has to be Kachin played a long week at a challenger in Madrid last week. Lost the final to um, Shevchenko. And he played three three-setters, first round, second round, third round. Playing three against Morocanias was not easy. That guy extends rallies like crazy. I almost wonder if fatigue comes into that. I'm not sure it does. He's got the Monday off. I think minus 190 to minus 195 is fine. So I'm probably going to pass. I just, Brewer's so bad on clay. And that, uh, that he's made a couple runs recently on clay. Both were at Houston where it's like red clay in air quotes because it may as well, it's made by the same company that makes the quicker green clay. And I mean, even there, the wins weren't that great. Like he's not beating the better Europeans. He's beating like the worst 250 clay field of the clay season. So minus 190 for Kachin is is probably fine. It's not at altitude, which doesn't help Bruver. He's not playing someone totally incompetent or a fellow hard quarter. The line is minus 115 at for minus three. And I'm like, that is actually, so that's the thing. I think the money line is fine. I think this has to be a three and a half team spread though. So not really seeing much value in the money line. Uh, either way, but I might be intrigued by the minus three for catching. What about is Jason Kubler, who is coming off a, a long week on more of that U.S. clay, taking on Daniel Rincon, who I don't know much about, but is he a deserved four and a half game favorite? Minus 375 favorite plus 290 is Rincon, who is a 20 year old Spaniard, probably one of these like kids they toss in the draw here to promote their their youngsters. John, you probably know about this guy. Yeah, he hasn't had a great year, and that's disappointing to me. I think here's it's the catch twenty two, right? If he had, if he was having a good year, you wouldn't get a plus three hundred five on him or four and a half games. If he, if he's having a bad year, you're kind of looking at it like, well, how does he beat a tour level player on any surface, right? Even if it's a guy that's not on his favorite surface, and and that's the kind of conundrum is, at what point do you see value on a guy that may be out of form? He qualified in Madrid at a challenger last week. I mean, Moreno Dalbaran is not a, a really bad player. He covered that spread with ease, took it three sets, won the first six, two, almost beat him. But again, Moreno Dalbaran is not at Cooler's level. So where do you, how do you draw the the line or where do you draw the line between the talent level and, and the price points? And I think that's really the only, the only chance you have to beat the books. I'll probably be on Rincon in, in some capacity. He is probably one of, I don't like Spain has so many good young talents. And I want to say one of their better talents, but he's someone that, the name has been out there for a year or two now. It's we just haven't seen much yet. Like he lost to Ji Sung Nam on red clay in like six three six two just a couple of weeks ago in Spain. That's bad. He, he is, and before that, like he lost four or five matches during the Tenerife and American Challenger swing against uh, Henry Squire, Matteo Gigante. Both crushed him. Like Ilya Marchenko. These are not close to being good enough. I'll probably. I kind of want to play Rincon, but I think the, the smart move here is to pass. I don't think Kubler's a minus four and a half favorite against anyone that can move well on clay, but Danny Rincon just hasn't shown us anything this year. I don't see a reason to to back him in this spot. What about Matteo Arnaldi, who is on a, a little bit of a heater, won a challenger event, now is qualified into this. So he's won one, two, three, four, five, won seven matches in a row, taking on the ever fatable Munar. 
who is a minus 220 favorite. Three and a half is the game's line here. 21 is the, the game's total. What do you think about the, the young Italian's chances in this one? Uh, you know, he's coming in on a bit of a heater. Could go both ways where he finally, you know, his fitness lets him down against the guy who's going to make him work in, in Munar. And a return to, you know, Spain on clay has got to do something for Munar's confidence, who, uh, like I said, is always fadeable. Did get a set off Rublev uh, last week before not covering cashed on that one i do love fading misa munar another solid shot here then again is this a, a low-key step up in class for arnaldi it, that's exactly that's exactly the thing too is how do you evaluate your your challenger guys that are doing well against your tour level guys they're obviously going to be dogs just because they don't have the experience haven't proven anything yet at this level but i don't know if he's, he should be plus 190 i have this number in the plus 175 range and i mean the difference in probabilities there isn't like anything astronomical so if you're going to factor in your hold the the hold that you're going to bet into into at the book you're probably at at a dead even stay away if this were to get over plus 200 i'd be a little more intrigued Uh, i think it might have been actually because i'm seeing a lot of red arrows indicating it's come down it got as high at pinnacle as you know plus 198 so it got really close but i think this is probably right the market's bouncing back and forth between what i find to be the true price and something just uh above it so or just a little cheaper than uh, the true price. So I'm going to go ahead and pass. I do think Munar has been horrible. Like he's been horrible. But my issue with a lot of these young Italians, particularly Arnaldi and Caboli, is you watch them play and they can be so, so good. And then they can both lose five matches in a row. All right. Well, unfortunately, those are the odds uh, that we have up now. Uh, it looks like there's going to be some more matches as this is a larger uh, a field. But let's dive into some wider draw talk here. We don't have the odds up, unfortunately. Alcaraz, I think, is probably going to win this thing. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Unless he's hurt. If he's still hurt, then obviously, you know, he's going to have some difficulty if his fitness isn't there. Um, but, you know, if he's fully healthy, at least, though, I will say, if he's fully healthy, he's probably going to win. I will say, though, at least, like, there's some decent competition in his side of the bracket for a change. I mean, if RBA beats Zapata he could maybe game up for one match give Alcaraz some trouble Fokina is in there Foe is in there and that's just for him to get to the semifinals to win his quarter the other quarter I don't think there's anyone that can beat him Rude is the top seed Evans Serendolo um, I mean Rude's better than all those other players though that's true but he's not going to beat Alcaraz no um, he's not if Alcaraz makes the semis uh he's more than likely going to win this thing I like Nori though in the in his quarter he's gonna beat kotov who just won today he's Um, got center center is an interesting case to me here because he's been playing a lot and typically when yannick center plays a lot injuries start to pop up and let's be real we have bigger events coming up i mean if something flares up does he get beat early here i mean could he lose to schwartzman if schwartzman wins no no can't (laughs) (laughs) that is the kind of the question it would be probably Nori that, that knocks out center, which I think he could. The only thing is if Nori can hold serve enough uh, in that one. But I do think Nori is is going to be back on the scene after some some losses. I kind of think that, like, the, I'm surprised that some of these guys are playing this week. Like, of the guys that went deep in Monte Carlo, right? Both finalists are playing, and they both won their event that they're playing last year. So they're def- But it's not like, do you really need to defend those points? You both just won more points in Monte Carlo than you won at your event that you're defending this last year. And you're right before Madrid and Rome. 
I mean, you're going to play a full week at Monte Carlo, and then you're planning on playing a full week in Munich and Banja Luka, and then you're going to play two weeks potentially in Madrid, two weeks in Rome, one week off, two weeks at the French Open. It just feels like you're kamikaze your freaking chances at doing some damage in Rome and the French Open, which are far more important than Banja Luka, Munich, and, and Barcelona. I, it, I'm a little surprised. I thought the same thing as you, Dave, when I when I thought about Sinner, and I said that too in my draw analysis for my patrons. I was like, when we see him play, I, he's had, he's scheduled decently, though. He took a week off between Miami Monte Carlo. He has a bye here to at least Wednesday, I believe. I don't think he plays Tuesday in Barcelona, but I, if he's off till Wednesday, okay, you get a couple days, sun, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Like there's a little bit of a break up there, but his, his talent and his injury history are just at such, they're, they're almost at odds with each other because he's so talented and he tends to go deep. But then because he goes so deep and he's got such like a, a, a scrawny ish frame. He just can't withstand the kind of amount of tennis he puts on that frame. And it's his talent that puts that tennis on the frame, right? He, it's so hard to beat him that he plays so much. And that's what ironically ends up hurting him for stretches. It's just, it's really weird. He's, he still has to bulk up a bit. I'm with you there. I just, I don't know if I'd want to bet into that. For me, it sits he passes is a plus 800, uh, was a plus 800 to win the event uh, before the, the tournament started this morning. He was plus 125 to win his quarter. Can you really spot someone who's beating him in that fourth quarter? Is Fritz in that fourth quarter? He's oh. playing Munich. <clears throat> Your boy D. Oh, yeah, no, what are I talking about? He's in He's in the fourth quarter of Munich. That's right. He's in the fourth quarter, but at a totally different <laughs> freaking event. It's like, who the hell is beating since he, Like, again, into percentages. Oh, 125 is really short. Is it really, though? He's got to buy to the second round, so he has to win three matches. And who the hell is stopping him? A redlining Shapo, redlining Dimitrov, maybe. He needs the form, too, after losing to Fritz in the quarters in Monte Carlo. You're, you know damn well he wants to reach a semi here. It's not like he's put a ton of wear and tear on himself because he he was out early in Indian Wells and Miami due to a potential injury. He was upset early in Monte Carlo. He was the two-time defending champ there. Like, he wants these matches. He's the polar opposite of the Sinners and the Runas and the Rublevs. Give me, if you give me Sitsi Pass to win any event that's not the French Open where there's like six different elite players playing, if you give me, sorry, let me word it this way. If you give me Sitsi Pass to play any event on clay at plus 800 to win it in a, in a field that does not include Djokovic, that does not include Rafael Nadal, I'm taking it. Even if he's in the same half as Alcaraz, which by the way, he's not here. That's that's to me, that's a terrible price point. He has said his shoulder is fine. It's started to look better. I still don't know if it looked hundred percent in Monte Carlo. Yeah. He said it was. But every day that goes by, he's probably getting a little bit stronger. And his his quarter is so devoid of talent on clay courts here. Or like meant like not talent. Pardon me. Let me re, let me reword that. His quarter is so devoid of guys with mental toughness and talent in in at once. That I just don't know who's stopping. It's again, it would take a, a redlining Chapo, <laughs> Chapo, or a redlining Dimitrov to get in his way, and I don't think that happens fifty percent of the time. Yeah, I mean, even if he's at eighty-five percent, that shoulder, I still think he could beat all of those guys. So, I mean, like, would you say it was like plus one twenty-five to win that quarter? Yeah, that's a great price. I'm gonna bet that once Bovada allows me to. Those assholes don't want to put up the lines right now. It shouldn't come down because he hasn't. Like he's got to buy, and I unless like there's a, a lopsided matchup in that first round, and, the, and that it's an upset to play him. I don't see what could change because all the seeds have buys. So Chapo Demon Hour, his biggest competition, will not have been eliminated after today. That should not come down more than 10, 15 cents. So it should still be playable. Anything over even money to me is playable. This is he should be a favorite, like an an outright favorite to win this quarter, not anything over plus money, at least in my book. Back to my Nori pick here. He's made the quarterfinal here. Uh, the last two years, uh, ran into 
Nadal, and then he did lose to Demonor last year, which is a little concerning. But I assume he's the second favorite on the board uh, for this quarter uh, to center, and I think it's I think it's worth a shot. I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen Nori get out a win uh, against uh, an injured an injured Alcaraz earlier this year. Maybe you know all the court time catches up to center. He's not as sharp that day, and Nori can best him uh, as well. I mean, Musetti, no. <laughs> I mean, this, this is this is a this is a pretty good run to at least get there to center because he's going to break Kotov multiple times. Uh, then he's going to break Musetti multiple times versus because uh, he's probably going to beat Kubler uh, if Kubler guts it out. So, uh, oh, one thing I want to say, Alcaraz. We're back on the set one unders, breadstick and bagel bets against Borges here. Uh, he's going to absolutely cream Nuno Borges. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. I, I love Nuno because he he beat Ilya Ivashka. And anyone who listens to this show during clay season knows how much I appreciate one, beating Ilya Ivashka on clay, two, doing it when I bet on you, and three, doing it when you're a plus 138 dog. I, I'm, I, 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 I feel so bad for Nuno. He he won as an underdog. He beat one of the worst clay overperformers in the history of tennis in Ilya Ivashka's 2021 garbage run. I mean, just to get rewarded by playing Alcaraz, the dude might win two or three games. Like, what can he do to stop Carlos? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Oh, I feel so bad. bad for him. Food poisoning, man. That's always the answer. The only thing he did... is he could draw out the unforced heirs of Alcaraz, who you know is obviously returning to clay. He did play the Golden Swing, so it's not his first time on clay this year. And he obviously you know is a clay natural. But he can get some break points generated probably to get a break back to maybe lose you know 6-3 instead of 6-2. That's what I was, I was just going to say, get him a fourth game. <laughs> you yeah. know? So... Yep. <laughs> uh, well, let's keep it moving. We have three other sites here. ATP Munich in Germany. This 250 event has been around in some form since 1900. It's been in its current form since 1990. Holger Runa won last year against Bodek, who retired early on in that. He's back in the field, taking on Yannick Hoffman next, who be Montero today, uh, a match John profited on. Well done. Other past champs include Nico Bajalisvili. Christian Garin in 2019, Zverev won back-to-back before that. Cole Schreiber, Cole Schreiber won, and Andy Murray won in 2015. Court speed is also a tick up higher than last week in Monte Carlo, uh, according to Tennis Abstract, which these numbers are from 2019, so a little bit uh, in the past here, but it looks like it's a tick up higher than even Barcelona. So, um, Well, it's at altitude, yeah. It's about 500 meters of altitude. So, yeah, yeah. going to be a little bit faster here. Um, the weather is bad. It's supposed to rain all week. So uh, just know that going into these bets that uh, you might be waiting them out uh, over multiple days, depending. Let's hop into some some matches here, guys, on this one. Oscar Atta is plus 180 against Sebi ba- or Sabita Baez, who is the three-and-a-half game favorite, minus 225 on the money line. The total is at 21 and a half here. Anta is not very good. However, it's going to be some power coming back towards Baez. And you know what? He, he he's not uh, he can be overpowered. It can give him some some problems. Um John, what do you think about this one? I think there's a reason he's defending semifinal points here from a year ago. Uh talking about the German. 
he can pound that ball. He beat Marco Topo, one of their better young players. We'll get to that in a second because he'll play Christian Gatti and he came through qualies this year. I think he had a wild card into the main draw last year. He kind of screwed around. Big game, but extremely erratic. Kind of, you know, off kilter mentally a little bit. So they put him in qualies this year. He came through. He beat Riley Pelka, 7-6-6-2. He beat Alejandro Tabilo, a good clay win at 6-1-7-6. Lost yeah. only to the eventual champion in Holgaruna. A respectable 6-4-6-4 loss. Okay. The serve and forehand play more here than they will on most other clay events. Okay. And then they, like, he played Sebastian Baez in Lyon, which is played like 200 meters of altitude. So a tiny bit of altitude. That one was a three setter. And I think this is where this matchup comes into play, right? If you're playing at a bit of altitude, you give Ota a chance because he has the big serve, the forehand. He has a little bit of history here. But just like in Lyon, where they split the first two sets, I think seven five and six four. The third set, Baez ran away with it. That's what I would anticipate as well. You get into a third set, all of a sudden, the the poor mobility and the big frame of Ota becomes a liability. And now all of a sudden, you know, the, the clay grinding of Baez is the big advantage, whereas the, the ability to overpower, even on clay, because of the 500-meter altitude here, early on, that's going to be kind of Ota's uh, advantage. So... That Lyon match is kind of how I see this one playing out. I think that at 300 extra meters of altitude and with Ota having shown strong play here in the past, you can if you factor in home soil, and you sh I should, I just don't know how to quantify it. It's semi-narrative, semi-legit. I do think that that plus 200 is a bit much. It's plus I saw a plus 230 the other day, and I didn't automatically hit it because I hadn't done my research, and I didn't realize uh, Ota had had success here before, which does weigh in for me. Um, but I'll probably be on the over and Ota money line. I don't know if I'd go plus games here because again, I do think that you could be in for a, if it goes three, you might be in trouble. And you know what, Ota, if you like Ota, the two nothing line might be a, a play as well, because if he's going to win, you kind of feel that if one set is close, he needs to do it in two because that third set, that, that the discrepancy between their physical abilities will tilt things heavily in Baez's favor. Duo is plus 385. Now, it's kind of interesting how they have this booked because they actually have Atta as uh, at minus 145 just to win a set. So you're laying pretty heavy juice uh, for a set here. But the over two and a half is actually a little bit up from, you know, a lot of times you see plus 130. It's plus 150 here. So you've got to think there's some value here, even according to how they have this booked on that over two and a half sets here uh, at plus 150 uh, because they're giving Atta a, a pretty solid chance to get a set um, and Baez is a pretty heavy favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the, I like the over two and a half sets and the over games a lot more than I like plus games, put it that way. I like it. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back me some Atta here. O'Connell. Chris O'Connell and Ugo Umber, two guys who should not be playing on clay, are, though, here in Germany. Um, O'Connell had a nice week uh, in Marrakesh. Uh, Umber actually got him some nice wins uh, last week in Monte Carlo. Uh, so as much as I just papooed them on clay, uh, they, they have shown uh, some ability on the surface uh, for being two traditional hardcorters. Uh, it's basically a pick here. A slight lean to Umber at minus 115 versus O'Connell at minus 105. John, is this a chance to fade Ugu Umber in that net, the, low, the, 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 the net ball angle that you like to talk about with the Frenchman? 
yeah, that, the the low net clearance, something that doesn't work particularly well on clay because, you know, the, the, the lower your net clearance, the less margin you have for error. The less margin you have for error, the shorter you want the points. Clay doesn't really do that for you, right? That's why it rewards the top spin and the, the high net clearance and consistency. I mean, tactical awareness, advantage O'Connell, right? Um, consistency, advantage O'Connell. Clay court tennis, advantage O'Connell. Power, advantage Umbert. Scheduling, advantage Umbert. O'Connell is also coming off a very long week in split. Now, he only made the semis, but that semifinal finished on Sunday because there was so much freaking rain on Saturday. They had to play the quarters on Saturday. They started his semi. It got delayed again, pushed it to Sunday morning. Then they had to play the Sunday final that he wasn't in. Late at night, indoors, they had to move it into indoor clay to get that freaking tournament done. It was brutal. Was it split? Or was it somewhere else? I think it was split. Either way, point is, he's coming off a long week, and even though it was a semifinal, it was like a full week right to Sunday. So he only gets one day travel rest. The, the problem here is like you factor in the altitude, you factor in O'Connell's scheduling. And when he opened at minus 135, I thought, okay, that's a little bit wrong. I might actually bet Umber. Then it moved to $1.85 or minus 118. I was like, okay, that's where I'd probably have it. I'd have O'Connell, the slightest of slight favorites. Now it's got O'Connell at even money. And it's gone from, I don't want to bet him at all to, okay, price is efficient to, this has gone too far. I'm going to bet O'Connell again, right? Not again, but I'm going to bet O'Connell now. So I think he went from overvalued to perfectly valued to undervalued in the span of about 24 to 36 hours. It is what it is. I'll probably be on Chris O'Connell because, again, the, the mental edge is there. The style on clay courts is far better than Ugo's. And, yeah, it, like you said, it's a chance to fade Ugo on clay. Even at 500 meters of altitude, I think it's one you have to take now that the price is near even money. Uh, another Frenchman who we talked about on this podcast uh, and Halis is taking on the Italian Lorenzo Sunego. This is a pick, which is a bit surprising. I thought Sunego, as the more traditional clay quarter, uh, would be uh, a deserved favorite. Uh, Halis obviously had a big week, had a big week in Esther Real. Now has he overvalued? Has he played himself into uh, maybe being a bit overvalued here? You know, he didn't play. You know, Borges was a, a natural clay quarter. That was a good win. RBA, tough to evaluate that win. Um, does take Rude, who is a great or, or a great clay quarter, in um, to three. But it's like that was a, you know, he kind of had it rolling that week. Now we're starting from scratch. The beginning of this tournament, Sinego has played himself down here uh, to this pick spot. Uh, but he is a shot maker. I mean... I kind of like the Italian in this spot. I hate to say it, because I love fading Sonego. Every single time I try, yeah, I don't know. You open minus one thirty. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Every time I try to fade Halise, though, it's like he just serves his way around my bet, and then I end up just losing. Right. It's that consistency that we talked about a couple podcasts ago that 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 is going to you know probably keep him in the match here, especially if the court's a little bit faster. That actually does help him out. Quite a bit, but I feel like it's time for Sanigo to do something, right? I'm I mean, he, that. he should. He knows that. I mean, he had he played well in Miami, right? Then he had kind of had a uh, a bad week. Now it's a chance to get back. I mean, he definitely can win this match. Like, well, yeah, I mean, he can, of course, but he can win a lot of matches, though. He could have beaten. He had the toolkit to beat Daniil if he played properly. If I'm being totally honest on slow clay, but. 
I don't know. Now I'm scared. I but I I agree with the original take though. I do think he was a deserved slight favorite, and he did open there. And I'm kind of upset I didn't get Halley at that price. Or like, here's the, the 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 first thing I did. I remember when I when I was starting to open these tabs up, I'm like, oh man, this is the rare spot where I think I actually like a game's over more than the set's over. Because I do have close sets happening quite often. And the over two and a half sets is less is is lower than plus 140 or more expensive than plus 140, right? So I'm like, this is one of those rare spots where over 22 and a half might be nice. I go to the, you know what it is? It's a 23 and it's minus 110. Like it's not even like a plus 105, 23. I'm like, okay, well, there you go. I mean, like the market has this, I think the market has nailed this pretty damn well. It's not an over 22 and a half and a bit of altitude with these two. 23 is probably the right spot. A sub one plus 40, sorry, a sub plus 140 over two and a half sets is probably the right price. And it probably is, about you know close to a pick i think senego right now minus 108 should probably be about minus 115 ish but it's that's at this point splitting hairs in terms of probabilities and hali has been bet down from plus 112 to to minus 103 i think the market is pretty has done a pretty good job on this one so i'll, I'll end up passing and you know what if i can pass on a senego match if my numbers say pass i'm not gonna argue with my numbers like that's one spot where i'll be like okay Move on, get the hell away from Lorenzo Sonego. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fade Hullies once again uh, and take the Italian here at pick. Um, I just, as much as I do, you know, want to believe in Hullies, I just feel like Sonego's gonna win. I don't know. I, I just, I just, I the, the more traditional clay background. I think this is a good spot uh, where Hullies is kind of coming in cold. Um, and Senegal's looking to to make some noise in this event. I mean, he's got to consider himself like pretty live in all of these tournaments week after week. So uh, I think that we're gonna see uh, Senegal come out on top here. At least I'm I'm willing to back him in this spot. All right, guys, we'll dive in some deeper draw talk here. I will. Really? I will say just before we start that. Three big underdogs tomorrow. I think there's some way to play almost all of them. I get how well Stroop's been playing in a bit of altitude with the the big forehand ability of Alex Richard. I don't know if plus 500 is fair. Uh, probably an over plus games kind of mixture in there somewhere. Uh, maybe plus sets. Max Hans Rayberg, more of an indoor hard quarter, but a bit of altitude. He's got an explosive game. Another one of those German youngsters who has really never lived up to the hype. But again, the ability is there on a clay court to trouble Marton Fuchsiewicz. Just a raw talent. He's over plus 700. I don't know. I probably want to take six, six and a half games there uh, and hope he loses in straights, like six, four, uh, six, three or something like, you know what I mean? Like not go to a third set if I have, because that's where you get in trouble with, with those massive spreads. And then Marco Topo against Christian Garin. Look at Garin's record. Like, let's go back and actually look at what he's done this year. Oh, that Indian Wells run. Okay. I mean, he beat Casper Ruud was a good win. Nishioka has been terrible this year. Galan had been terrible. Misolich on a hard court. He barely got by Lerner team. Well, Miami third round. Okay. He beat Tabilo. Half decent win, but it's on a hard court. Giron, again, half decent win. Three sets. They win the same amount of games, 18-18 in the match. Baez on a hard court and Kaichi Uchida. And then he loses to Sitsipas, who was could not hit a proper backhand. 
He got pretty much handled by Davidovich Fokina at Indian Wells. Then what else? What has he done besides that? You beat you, you beat down Hugo Delian in, in Houston, then barely got by Zizou Bergs. You got crushed by Echeverry, even though it was three sets for all intents and purposes. Go back to Santiago. Like you beat a, a team who's nowhere near the top of his game, lost to Baez. You lost to a dog poo-poo, Pedro Martinez in Rio in straight sets, and Joao Sosa in Cordoba. He's got 17 wins this year, and holy cow, he could not have amassed a less impressive 17 wins. Plus 410, 425 on Marco Topo, who's come through qualifying and won as a big dog twice already, showing some sort of undervaluation there. And it, he's shown off like his talent in his in his qualifying matches. Sign me up for an over there. Probably a dog money line, probably a plus one and a half sets. I'm sorry, but Christian Garin has beaten guys like this. But you know, he's again he struggled with Lerner Teen. He's just he's inflated his record with some pretty poor contextual wins. Anyway, sorry, on to draw talk. I mean, he's had better results on hard as well. He's been pretty bad on right. clay, which is not like him, but that's the facts. Deeper draw talk, Holger Runa just lost in the final, so he's got some you know, recovery he needs to do to be in tip-top shape here to take this thing down again. He's going to play Hoffman, like I mentioned. Then he's going to play Garin or uh, Tapo. Um I think the big hurdle looks like is Zverev, um, but he's obviously no guarantee to to reach there. Uh, I mean, pretty good setup here uh, for Runa, who routinely just beats players he's better than, uh, to reach the final once again. Uh, on the bottom half, we have Taylor Fritz as the other seed, um, and he's got a pretty good path as well, though Fucevic might be uh, a, a taller task than he, he cared for next round. Uh, if he wins, he's a huge favorite uh, against this wild card, who I believe is uh, a German youngster. So, man, yeah. I mean, team is lurking around in Fritz's quarter. But who knows what we'll get from him. Um, I mean, unless Fritz pulls a Taylor Fritz, <laughs> I feel like he's going to uh be in the final because i don't know who's going to beat him uh any anyone with a, a hot pick here no i do not i mean you can look at bodek or something like that and and that would be a hot pick and that's why i would not pick that i'd rather just stick with um fritz but yeah overall this looks pretty chalky to me i mean there's just yeah. not a it's a pretty watered down field now obviously this is conventional wisdom um a good a good spot to back some longer shots here um but uh, i mean <laughs> no one's really leaping off uh the page here now green obviously we we've seen some top end from him uh if he gets through uh he could be runa uh if runa has some you know um fitness issues um bias certainly uh, as someone who you know makes deep runs in clay tournaments like this, um, but man, it's like few and far between uh, in, in this field, especially when you I, have two. I mean, Runa and Fritz are just so clear uh, and above these two, everyone else. So the two favorites in the event 
or they were co-favorites. And I know this because I was super excited to play a Zverev number thinking Holgaruna might very well withdraw. And if he withdraws, you want to get your bets in before he does so, right? I mean, there's some books that might screw you out with like a, a void because before the tournament starts. But if you can get those bets in, like Bet365 will honor your ticket if you placed it before the withdrawal happened, right? They Once they get the news, they pull the numbers, obviously. And I was hoping for like a... To, to get Alex Zverev at a half decent number being in Runa's half, he was, they were both plus 275. I was, I was like, oh, come on. And I mean, that is just the market being, uh, understanding that Holger Runa clutching at some things in that final two long matches to end last week. Who, like, who knows how motivated he is? I know he's defending the title, but he just defended it basically. The points basically in Monte Carlo made a way more money there. Unfortunately, the number just wasn't playable. If I'm going to go for those long shots that you were talking about, it's this mini section in the third quarter. And Derek hinted at it with Bodek Vandezanskop. Totally agree with that. But the guy who he could play in the first round, and I know it's nuts to use this name in an outright capacity, but Aslan Karatsev. He's got the firepower. <laughs> he's got the all-court ability. Daniel Altmaier is a tough first round, but Daniel Altmaier just won an event in Sarasota, Florida, USA, a.k.a. an ocean away this past week. Comes over now, has to play Karatsev in that first round. I think he'll get till Wednesday. I, I believe it's already decided with the orders of play. Yeah, he's got till Wednesday, so that might help him. I can't like, but honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. Aslan Karatsev, it's the bottom half of the draw. It's like the weaker side. There's no Zverev, no Runa. He's good on any surface. He's got the firepower for any surface. The altitude might help him keep points a little shorter so he can't be Aslan Karatsev and just ball bash his way into unforced errors. His first round opponent is tough, but again, off a long week overseas. <laughs> it's, it sounds crazy, but if that Aslan number is like 20 or 30 to one, jump. If it's like 15 to one, there's not a chance. But if it's like 30 to one, like you said, it's a diluted field, man. Crazier things have happened. Yeah, like if they had odds at the beginning of the season, what were the chances of uh, Karatsev winning one tournament? That'd be like plus, I don't know, 800, 400. But uh, yeah, yeah, they don't even have those odds. Dude, what about yeah, Giron to win? Sorry, what about Giron to win his quarter? I don't think so. I mean, he's going to play the winner of Struf. Uh, I mean, he's probably going to play Struf, but Struf has been playing a lot. He could beat Struf. Good. Richard, I mean, Richard, if you if you like that angle, then jump aboard and cheer with me for Alexander Richard in the first round to do some damage. <laughs> and then he could that would be... make that would make it super valuable, right? Because then he'd be like a minus four hundred or three hundred favorite against Richard. And he's got the rally tolerance to beat Bodic, Altmeyer, and Karatsev. I wonder uh... that, that number's not up yet. They put Barcelona numbers up now that we're done talking about it, but they don't yeah. have the Munich or Band. I think two minutes after we wrap up each turn, they're just going to post the outrights for them. So, you know, it just, we don't have numbers to give, but they'll be there. All right. That's what my would hot... you bet. What would you need to bet Garona? Put it that way for his quarter. What would you need it at after he's already won this match? I don't know. Like, well, I'm, I would be hoping for a plus 300 or something. Um, I mean, the, the rollover, that, yeah. the rollover is probably more uh, juicy. Um, but having it in pocket, uh, I think would be, would be pretty good. This is a good, I mean, a good setup. Obviously Garon could lose easily because he's Marcus Garon, but <laughs> I don't think there's anyone overwhelming on the other side of the court, uh, for him. Uh, that's just going to steamroll him. 
Um, and I think he's probably being uh, disrespected, if I had to guess. don't think uh, anyone's out there hanging up short Giron numbers. <laughs> so, um, and as, I mean, obviously, and Zverev could win this too, especially as the German. So, he needs um, he needs the reps and he needs to get some wins under his belt too, especially after like two gut wrenching, you know, kinds of losses to Daniil Medvedev. It's like you got to get that bitter taste out of your mouth and actually win a damn event, hoist a trophy, get yourself back in a good mental spot. Because right now Daniil Medvedev owns you. He doesn't just beat you, but he's forced you to choke away like matches where you led by a set, you had 12 break points or 10 break points in the second set at Indian Wells, and he rolled his ankle and you couldn't beat him. And then you had match points and you served for it twice in Monte Carlo and you couldn't beat him. Like Zverev could, from a narrative perspective, could really use four wins this week to to hoist that title. Well, he needs Gareen to beat uh, Runa is what he needs because... He's not going to do it himself. You mean Marco Topo? Marco, (laughs) he needs Marco Topo to beat Runa. Classic mistake. Sorry, you're forgiven. Don't worry. Well, Zverev just can't beat anyone younger than him, so he needs like some oldies up there (laughs) to get. Oh, then he's screwed with Topo. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's he's a year younger than Garin. That'll work in his favor. There you go. Uh, Fritz, how is Fritz is 25, I think, right? Or how old Fritz? Yeah, he's 25. So they're the same age. So he's got a shot against Fritz then, because uh, they're the same age in the final. If Zverev does make the final. And we're always a week early, right? On, on guys. Now we're two weeks early because we picked Zverev twice. <laughs> so Zverev is not a bad look. All right. Lastly, here we have ATP Banya Luka. Uh, this event is run by Novak Djokovic's family. It's normally held in Belgrade the last two years um, after not being played from 2013 to 2020. It's now here in Bonnie Luca at a literally brand new $16 million facility that apparently was controversial during its construction because of potential violations and just opened can, last week for use. Can you actually make a stadium for $16 million? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, and I think that's probably why the violations <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> were discussed. Sounds like there's some uh, workplace hazards there for sure. They're upgrading the facility in Belgrade, um, so I believe it'll be back next year. It says there's indoor and outdoor courts here, but they stopped play today, so uh, I, I don't know. This is another site that's going to be raining all week. Um, yeah, I I think they're, they they stop play early in the week. I don't, I think it's only to get the tournament. If they have to, they'll go indoors because they may not have streaming abilities, and they want to get as much you know make it as widely available as possible to watch. Even though most people are watching Barcelona, uh, you do want cameras on the court where possible. Berrettini beat Karatsev back in 2021 to win this. Andre Rublev beat Djokovic in the title match last year. So Novak, despite running this thing, has not won. Uh, in recent editions, and uh, now he's potentially hurt again. We don't really have a lot of info of how it's going to play, as it's brand new, open last week. So we'll, we'll see how it plays. It's supposed to rain again, like I mentioned, next few days. It was pretty well, <laughs> or pretty underattended, from what I saw today in the Leo uh, Krajinovic match, which I thought was surprising, to be honest. Rublev is 
pulled out of the doubles, but he is playing singles uh, as of now. He's there. So tough to know what to, to think about what we can expect from him this week. Tough to know what we're going to get from Djokovic if he's hurt. Um, he's going to play Luka Van Ash, who won as a slight dog to Warinka today. Uh, Kishmanovic is the four seed here. Chorich is the three seed. Uh, Rublev the two, as I mentioned. Let's just do some some general uh, draw talk here as we're running out of time. Um, and, and I think this is a good week to back. You're not going to believe I'm going to say this. Alex Olchan. I thought you were going to say Emer, so okay. No. Got it out. It's never a, a good set, week. Got it out of three set win today against Taro Daniel. Now he gets uh, Poprin, uh, who had the two tie breaks that win against Greek Spore. Um, so he gets a pretty good draw here um, with Poprin, who is not a clay quarter. Uh, so I think he can get through that. And then. He's going to have to play either Chorich, Jera, Safillion. I mean, I think he can beat those guys, find find himself into the semifinals here. Oh, yeah. Nothing Southern against him, that. Him or Jera. Those are the two I would pick. I mean, Bourne is going to be a little too juiced for me in those quarter markets. And, I mean, he's just been dog shit outside of Cincinnati for so long that uh, – yeah, I have no interest in backing Borna. I think that that, may, that might make the price a bit better on Molchan and, and, and Laszlo as well. I think Alexi Popperin is going to be my 2023 version of Ivashka and McDonald from 2021 and Barrer from last year, who I'll, you know, we'll also get to in a second because fade his ass uh, at this event. But I had Greek Spore on like a tiny 22 to 1 outright, gone. I had Greek Spore money line, gone. Greek Spore minus two, gone. And I'm like, oh, good Lord, Alexi Popperin is going to steal so much of my money this clay court season, just bashing his way through tennis of matches. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. He, no, you're not good on this surface. Like, he doesn't even hit with, like, a he- that, that heavy of a ball either. It's just unbelievable. Molchan should hopefully dismantle him. But if he's serving the way he did against Greek sport, it just feels like it's one of those things where, He's just going to keep holding serve, and it's just a matter of time before he finally gets opportunities on a weaker Molchan service game. Like, a weaker, like, Molchan service game is weaker, and it just, it's going to take one game of three second serves per set to apply that pressure, crack his serve open, and then he's going to win. And I just, it's so irritating. But he's, he's not, he didn't even impress me that much today, if we're being totally honest. Um, against Greek Spore. Just Greek Spore looked like Talon does, right? Like he is another one of those Davidovich, Wakina, Shapovalov, Gregor guys where he's got the, all the firepower, incredible talent, moves nicely. Like he looks, when he looks good, he looks really good. And then it's like, he doesn't have the the wherewithal in his brain to be able to figure out how to return a big serve, right? Even on clay. And he just looked lost on return today. I also think it's a good spot for Laheshka uh, as well. Uh, Kashmanovich, his biggest hurdle. Um, now Monfils, you know, obviously maybe he randomly is good again and, and, and beats him in the first round. I, I would bet not, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would bet not. <laughs> uh, but, um, I'm certainly, if we're staring down at Kishmanovich Laheshka, uh, matchup, I'm, I'm definitely on team Laheshka there. Um, cause I, I'm, I'm back in my fade Kishmanovich bucket, uh, after 
his big week in Esther Real. I don't know what to do with Novak because if he, I do think he's hurt. So, uh, but a sixty percent Novak could still win this thing. Um, it'll be interesting with Van Ash. I mean, if they hang a huge number with Van Ash, like a plus one and a half sets at like plus two hundred, I think oh, that that's it'll be higher worth, than that. I think it'd be higher than that. I mean, that's oh, worth yeah. a half unit play, man. But like Novak, if he is hurt. And he plays a three set match. Dude, that third set's going to be brutal for him. Like his last match, he just kept deteriorating more and more throughout the entire match. Now he'll. I would, I, Go ahead. I would think Van Ash comes in like plus 13, 1400. Um, maybe not. He is like the youngest player in the top 100. He's got a ton of clay wins the last couple of years. Not really any maybe signature wins. But if the market doesn't think Novak is hurt, they listened to his press conference where he said, no, I'm 100%, I'm fine. I just got to congratulate my opponent. Like, no, he was just angry and didn't want to you know, say anything that would get him in trouble with the media because they love to to pounce on every word he says. If the market believes he's hurt, then then you're not going to see that number. But honest to God, he, it's going to be 10 to 1 or better. And in that case, you'll get that plus 200. I would, I'd imagine he'll be around plus 300, plus 330, plus 350 uh, for a set. If Novak is hurt, I think Maheshka has a, a real chance to win this tournament and, and add a a 250 title to his to his mantle. You know who my guy in that uh, quarter is? Fede Coria. This okay. just this draw this kind of draw quality just screams Fede Coria. Although he's playing in the first round, the other guy this year, along with Popurin, who is just going to take all my money on clay courts in Radu Albot, who now has. Almost as many wins this year on clay courts as he did the last two years combined. Because apparently Radu Albot is just a clay court wizard now after being well below 500, meaning he was losing the first match at an event far more often than not the last two years. Apparently he's a wizard on clay now. Uh, But this is a great matchup for Coria. He's minus 130. I don't think I need to tell you what I think of that price. And I like the Lehechka ability to go haywire and, and hit a ton of errors just matches up so poorly with Coria's ability to just make a million balls and work the ball around the court and hit with some depth and play a heavy ball here and there to try and extract uh, and coax out more errors. He's got that kind of that endurance and that fitness. I I think that Coria, I know he hasn't played on clay since Buenos Aires and he hasn't played in general since Miami. But remember, like that three and four match to Lahechka, that was like he was right almost right on that spread, if not covering that spread. Lahechka's like minus a thousand. And he won six, three, six, four. He was never in trouble, but at the same time, you'd expect him to win that two and two on a hard court, especially considering Schwartzman did it, who was in worse form like the tournament prior. But I mean, Coria won a challenger this year already. He went to the final of Cordoba. This has like massive Cordoba vibes to it outside of Djokovic and Rublev. It's like, holy cow. And this quarter in particular is just devoid of any big names that he'd have to upset. I like Corey to, to emerge from this quarter, uh, despite the fact that he hasn't played uh, some strong tennis in months. Okay. We've got an update on Bovada. The futures are in for Banya Luka. Hmm. Okay. Not for quarters, though, what do we have? unfortunately. You know what I like? Okay. Honestly, I like Rublev. I don't care how tired he is. He's sitting at plus 450. So, I mean, even if he is tired, 
I think this draw is pretty watered down. Like he'd what have Gaston oh, God, yeah. It's like oh my god, his quarter's so bad, and the third quarter is pretty so, damn bad too. It's very bad. Like I think he can get through these in straights and stuff. So um, I don't know. I don't know how much he has left in his tank, but it's enough to get him through to the semifinal. And if you're looking at plus four fifty for him to win this whole thing, is there anyone in that half of the draw, not just quarter, that half of the draw where he's not at least minus four hundred? Exactly. Like right? No. If you ask me, no. I don't know. Laszlo, maybe if Jared's playing well enough. Yeah. I, I just he's minus four hundred or 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 shorter against. I mean, legitimately, I'm looking at anyone. Someone, no has matter to, what like, machination of opponents he plays. Yeah, like some player would have to like just be sweeping every set. Yeah. Um, let Ooh, me see. Molchan forty to one. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, Novak's minus two hundred. In case you're wondering, by the way. <laughs> minus 200 i mean yeah. come on uh, i mean he's the best player by leaps and bounds the problem is is whether you believe his he's got an issue with his serving arm or not and you know you notice the compression sleeve that wasn't there in his first monte carlo match we noticed the medicine ball problems uh, a lot of people noticed the uh the mph on his serve was well down as the match went on there were like clear as day signs that the arm was affected and not just one. Cause that first time when you pointed out in our chat, I wasn't, I was a little hesitant to, to jump on board and then the medicine ball and then the serving uh, speeds came down. It's like, I don't know how you get away from the fact that he is not a hundred percent right now. Yeah. I well, saw DraftKings Sportsbook last week had uh, Novak not to win the tournament. Unfortunately, there's no odds for that right now, but, if he's minus 200 to win this whole thing and then they end up putting up odds for that, he might be like minus 150 to not win this. I don't know. There's some value, I think, there. Well, if plus he's 150? minus 200 to win, you got to think yeah. that the bottom. Oh, sorry, half... plus two, plus 150, maybe. Sorry, if he's minus 200 to win, you got to think the bottom half is where all the value is. Yeah. Um, man, I'm, I'm stuck. I mean, even John, your popper pick, he's 40 to one. So the winner of Walchan and Popperin. They're both 40 to 1. You'll still have uh, a 40 to 1 ticket uh, on the other side of that. And uh I just think they're both they're both dogs to Laszlo Jerry if he does beat Chorich. And if if Chorich wins, as much as I don't like him and would like to fade him, they're both dogs to Chorich too, uh market-wise. So that's why you're seeing those elevated prices on both of them because I think regardless of what they play in the quarter, they're the dog. If they play Rubel in the semi, they're the dog. If they play Djokovic in the final, they're a big dog. So you have to kind of have an elevated price there because the rollover could get you to 40 as well, even from the second round onwards. Jera is 16 to one here. Yeah. See, that's why like he's the best player in that quarter for my money. Like in 2023 on clay, maybe five years ago, you could make a case that Borna Chorich is by far and away the best player here. But in terms of right now, to me, Lazo Jera is the best player in this quarter on clay. And he's got, what should be, what should amount to a walkover in the first round. But Lord knows, sometimes he just looks so disinterested out there. And that's the concern. All right. Well, I'm going to tip Jera plus 1,600, Molchan plus four, uh, 4,000, so 40 to 1. John, it sounds like you like a little sprinkle on the Perea plus uh, 5,000, so 50 to 1. Yeah, I mean, it's all dependent on, on Novak, of course. Like, as is that as in the case with most tournaments, but I do like Corey to get through here. I cannot believe he's minus one thirty against Albot. Like, okay, Radu, 
nice job. The Kuzminov win, I'll give him. I actually rate that that six three six three win. Al- Alden Sekic is like. I can't explain to you how bad Alden Sekic is on clay. He's like 34 years old. He plays a super flat style. He's always been garbage on clay. And now he's like an ITF hardcorder. That's the level. So that win means nothing. Manuel Guinard has won like three matches all season. Kaichi Uchida is not good on clay. Jeremy Yan has been hurt for the last five years. And he won that 6-3-7-5. Again, minus 1,000 favorite. Eric Van Schilboin was again a minus 1,000, minus 1,500 favorite. He doesn't have a good win outside of Dimitar Kuzminov on clay. He almost beat Zombor Piro, so that would have counted. But... You know, he didn't. So screw you, uh, Radu. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think Coria is is a nice shout here to to move on through the second quarter. He could definitely, again, Kechmanovic doesn't have the weapons to hit through guys like that. We saw it, I believe, was it last week when he was just underpowered when we played him? You know, I walked willingly into that bear trap against Musetti. He just couldn't hit through Musetti. It's the same concept with Coria. Coria doesn't have that talent or the offensive capabilities of Lorenzo. But it's the same concept where it's like, what does Kecmanovic do to beat a guy like Coria? And that's where his difficulties have always come into play. All right, guys. Well, we've said it all in this three-site week. Uh, we will be back later in the week, TBD, probably closer to the end of the week, actually. Follow us at MP9Tennis on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can follow John at Tennis at Tennis. Follow Derek at Forever's Nicole. Until next time, see you in the court.